Welcome to Jerusalem Studio Podcast. Join us to discuss the latest updates from Israel and the region. Shalom and welcome to Jerusalem Studio. If one was tasked with coining a catchphrase to sum up Iran's current nuclear policy, it may well be stolen in stole. The new government in Tehran under President Ibrahim Raisi is taking its sweet time in negotiating over prospects of negotiating, trying to squeeze American concessions as the price for drafting a renewed edition of the 2015 nuclear deal. While the world awaits, the centrifuges keep rolling, racing towards enough fissile material for a single atomic bomb. At the same time, there is an apparent trend in the region to acknowledge the reality of an American military withdrawal with a Saudi-Iranian dialogue conducted in a semi-secret channel. What does it all add up to? To analyze this topic, we are joined from central Israel by Colonel in Reserve Ruven Ben Shalom, who is a cross-cultural strategist and associate at the International Institute for Counterterrorism in Herzliya. Thank you for joining us, sir. Also joining us from another location in central Israel is Mr. Amir Javed Anfar, who is an Iran lecturer at the Reichman University in Herzliya as well. Thank you for joining us as well, sir. Thank you. And here with me in the studio is our TV7 analyst and host of TV7's Watchman Talk, Mr. Amir Oren. Amir, give us an understanding on the latest developments pertaining to the Iranian nuclear file. Well, the sense one gets out of Washington is frustration. And uh, the uh, administration's uh, spokespersons uh, are careful to say we are neither optimist nor pessimist. We are watching uh, what the uh, Iranians uh, are doing. Time is getting short. We've heard all of uh, these phrases. But it's not over until the fat Ayatollah sings, if if the Ayatollahs are fat, uh, the problems in Iran being what uh, they are. There are two tracks uh, one should watch. One has to do with uh, the uh, nuclear uh, domain and the other with the uh, regional policies of Iran, what is called the uh, malign activities. On the nuclear uh, front, we have seen the representative of the uh, European Union going to Tehran. And uh, the IAEA Director General, uh, Grossi, going to Washington to meet with Secretary Blinken. And everyone is hopeful that uh, eventually, when the Iranians uh, believe that uh, they have achieved uh, whatever they set out to, but before the end of the year, because of uh, their uh, legislation, their parliament uh, a year ago so uh, told them that uh, until the end of this year, uh, there are certain benchmarks that they have to achieve, uh, then they will cut a deal. So um, not yet, but eventually probably they will go back to uh, Vienna. Um, a few days ago, they went to Brussels to speak with the EU, all of these uh, stalling tactics. On the uh, other front, um, there are several developments. Uh, China, one of the members of the old JCPOA talks, and even now uh, one of the parties in the indirect talks between the Americans and the Iranians uh, in Vienna, has uh, effectively broken the embargo on oil sales from Iran. 
China is uh, reported to import 750,000 barrels uh, a day. Um, Saudi Arabia uh, has uh, understood what it has seen, the indicators that the uh, Americans are leaving the region, and is already talking with Iran. There have been four rounds of uh, such uh, secret or semi-secret uh, talks. That is, the fact that there are talks is not secret, but the content is um, between uh, the Saudis and uh, the Iranians. Uh, it started in Iraq. Maybe it moved uh, elsewhere in the region. So all in all, um, we are in a pause. Um, there is uh, no progress to uh, report right now. But uh, in the uh, uh, final months of uh, 2021, uh, something must give. Indeed. Uh, with regard to your latter point, I think it's important to mention that while the Iranians proclaim that uh, those talks with Saudi Arabia are substantive and are leading towards uh, some sort of rapprochement, uh, the Saudis are less enthusiastic and very carefully saying that there is not enough substance uh, to this dialogue. And with that, I'd, I'd like to ask Mr. Javed Anfal, to what degree are the Iranians willing to uh, gamble, if you will, with uh, the Americans uh, on moving forward with the nuclear program, all the while demanding that unless uh, substantial sanctions are lifted from the Islamic Republic, the Iranians will not uh, immediately resume into negotiations because they're not the ones who initially broke the deal, as they uh, put it uh, repeatedly. Yeah, is this something that, uh, if you will, a scenario of playing chicken with the Americans, or is it just uh, something that they genuinely need in order to return into substantive talks? Um, until now, one of the main reasons why Iran has not returned to the uh, negotiation table, even though Mr. Biden has been in office since January, uh, is the belief that uh, America has got its focus elsewhere, that America is too busy um, dealing with the problems regarding China, the challenges from China. Then the Iranians saw that U.S. pulled out of Afghanistan, and one of the reasons for that was, again, is because the United States wants to focus on China. So according to an article recently yeah, published in Iran, Islamic Republic of Iran news agency, by Mohammad Marandi, who's uh, who's uh, you see him in the press, he's a, he's a U.S. expert in Tehran University. His father is also Ayatollah Khamenei's chief physician. He said that the, that the Islamic Republic of Iran believes that it has the upper hand because the Americans can't do much anymore. They have they are too much uh, focused on on China and they just don't have enough leverage. Right now, they don't want to dedicate uh, to uh, enough leverage to to address the Iran issue because because of priorities. So this is the view regarding Iran. Now, is this an eternal view? Does this mean nothing is going to change? Well, we have to remember that towards the end of November, there's going to be the Board of Governors meeting of the IAEA. If Iran is not returned to the negotiation table, at least by then, then Iran's going to get uh, censured and its case could get. Uh, uh, referred to the United Nations Security Council. It is possible that we could see something before the end of November from Iran, because right now we're not seeing much. But will it be enough? 
it, it's not clear. But for now, it seems the Islamic Republic, the ruling hierarchy, believes that it has the upper hand and America can't do much. With that being said, and uh, this question I'd like to refer to Colonel Ben Shalom, uh, Antony Blinken, during his meeting uh, with uh, the uh, Israeli Foreign Minister Yair Lapid, when he visited uh, him in Washington, uh, they were loud and clear that the runway is getting shorter. Now, uh, of course, with reference to uh, the the leverage or the uh, added value which the 2015 nuclear agreement with Iran actually brings to the table at this stage when the Islamic Republic managed to accumulate so much knowledge in order to produce a first nuclear warhead. Uh, with that being said, earlier this week on Sunday, uh, the blue flag w- was launched here in, uh, Jer- uh, in Israel, of course in Jerusalem with uh, the picture of uh, the uh, Air Force commander here in Israel, uh, Major General Amikam Nolkin, together with his German counterpart, having uh, a photo shoot together. But uh, there were some very clear remarks of going the extra mile in order to ensure Israel's existence and never allowing the uh, what happened, the atrocities that happened in World War II to uh, reemerge in any form uh, here in, uh, in the country. Uh, of course, this uh, is a signal maybe towards the Iranians, considering the fact that the runways are getting longer and longer in Israel with regard to potential activities. Yeah, you know, as time goes by, I less and less uh, see such exercises, even visits as, you know, big, uh, important messages. Sure, they're they're meant to convey messages. It's like in the past, the U.S. would send uh, a ship somewhere, just the fact that an aircraft carrier goes somewhere, that is a projection of power. And certainly when we have an international exercise in Israel, the very fact that we have foreign air forces here with us on the ground shoulder to shoulder and these expressions of solidarity and unwavering support, it means a lot to us emotionally. And yes, we do think that it radiates some kind of powerful message to our enemies. But the strategic uh, issues in the Middle East, of course, don't have to do necessarily directly with that. It doesn't change any calculus on the side of the Iranians. Also, the visit to Washington, like the U.S. administration, has always said that Iran will never acquire nuclear uh, weapons. Uh, this is not something new. There is something, I would say, a little naive in the Israeli psyche that we always want to hear it. You know, we want Yair Lapid goes to Washington and even tries to force it into a declaration as if we both agree that, of course, we both agree. So, again, from these messages, I see nothing special. The big issue here is, of course, Iran's calculations as we speak, I think they have the upper hand. Sometimes I almost think they enjoy it. Maybe they're even happy that Trump left the deal because it enables them now, emboldens them now, especially with the weakness projected by the United States with leaving Afghanistan. So they can play it hard to get, even if they don't really intend to to achieve nuclear weapons at the end, because that's a big question. Because as far as their overall game of hegemony in the Middle East and what they're doing, throughout the Middle East, that is clear. But do they really want a nuclear weapon? My guess has to be that they know what's going to happen to them if they do. I think they believe the Americans and they believe us. They know it's going to be devastating for them. So I have to believe that their end game is not to have nuclear weapons tactically now. Remember also the last time they shelved the program in around 2004, maybe, it was because of a a local calculation that it wasn't worth it while for them because their image in the world following 9-11 was damaging. So would this be the next calculation now? Hard to tell. Still playing the long game. 
Well, I think the the main reason for that at the time was the U.S. deployment uh, in Afghanistan and, and Iraq, which uh, allowed the Americans to have significant strong power leverage over the Iranians and the Iranians cautioned back. Uh, Mr. Oren, how do you view this? Well, why do nations uh, acquire or attempt to acquire nuclear weapons? No one has used um, uh, such weapons uh, since Nagasaki. And uh, it's uh, already 76 years since uh, the second and last bomb was dropped on Japan. Usually, nations want deterrence, and they want it as a sort of an umbrella under which they will use their conventional and subconventional power. Now, Arab countries have gone to war conventionally against other Arab countries or Iraq versus Iran, another Muslim country. The question one should ask is, assuming uh, an Arab country such as uh, Syria or Egypt uh, had a nuclear weapon, would it drop it on Israel, all other um, variables uh, being constant? And one, one answer is there are two million Palestinians living in the territories, plus two million Arab Israelis and seven million Jews, it doesn't make sense for an Arab country to endanger four million other Arabs just to try and harm seven million Jews. And of course, there is the second strike capability everyone assumes Israel has. But for Iran, the calculus can be different because the Iranians don't care about the Arabs in Israel. Iranians are Muslim, but they are not Arabs, and they don't necessarily like Arabs. So they are a more dangerous enemy, and one should not try to analyze their actions uh, with the same rationale that one ascribes uh, Arab countries. And because of that, it makes sense for Israel to want insurance against the day when the Iranians get closer to the bomb. Unfortunately, the United States is withdrawing from the region. The Israeli vector and the American one are in convergence, uh, in divergence, I'm sorry. They used to be in convergence, now they are in divergence. And the Iranians fully understand it and exploit it. Indeed. Mr. Javed Anfal? Well, um, for Iran right now, it seems that Ayatollah Khamenei um, is uh, under the impression that uh, um, he can continue with this with this line. Let's just say even if Iran's case is referred to, let's say just take the scenario that Iran does not cooperate and its case is referred to the UN Security Council by the IAEA, then what? What is the UN Security Council going to do? Um, to be honest with you, uh, uh, the, the, the way the Islamic Republic feels right now, uh, one of the one of the things that used to really worry about the Islamic Republic regarding its economy was people pouring out of the streets. Life would become so hard because of the sanctions. That's actually part of the calculus by the by the U.S. This is why the sanctions were were imposed. That you know the fear of the people of Iran becoming sick and tired of the economic situation and then pouring into the streets would force the Islamic Republic of Iran to make compromises. And it is believed that that's actually one of the reasons why Ayatollah Khamenei came to the table to reach the JCPOA in the first place. But recent events 
have challenged that logic. We see life has become far worse than it was for Iranians uh, than before 2015, you, uh, but uh, we don't see massive demonstrations. And that's something that's encouraging Ayatollah Khamenei, and we can continue to encourage him to continue uh, resisting the sanctions. And why are the people of Iran not uh, coming out in great numbers? Major reason is COVID. People are too scared of COVID. They are too busy trying to uh, you know, make up for the economic losses caused by COVID. And there's the other factor of that the Iranian regime is uh, more oppressive and violent against opposition than before. And I think this is something that's going to keep the Islamic Republic's uh, uh, leadership uh, uh, could, you know, it's just going to be the logic that's going to drive them forward and forward until something breaks or something goes bang. Let, let me actually follow up with you on, on one point, and that is, does the Islamic Republic or the revolutionary regime, its survival, does it hinge upon the revival of the JCPOA at this stage? Not as long as there's no domestic pressure. What really bothers Ayatollah Khamenei and would keep him up at night is, is domestic pressure. Let's not forget that according to the former head of the IRGC, Mohammad Jafar Azizi, Aziz Jafari, sorry, in 2009, uh, they were, according to him, they were close to being overthrown. This is a public statement by the, by the then commander of the IRGC. That, that's, that's a threat. But right now, there's no such threat at the moment, uh, as I speak with you. Indeed. Colonel uh, Ben Shalom, how do you view this? I think they could be forced back into the deal, of course, with uh, a much more relaxed deal than before. As far as, by the way, the question is, was it right to withdraw from the deal? I think it's pretty clear now that it was not, at least as far as Western uh, calculation. And I think it emboldened Iran. And even Israel's policy so far, which was seen as very strong and forceful, of course, afraid from this or concerned from this uh, existential threat that could come from Iran, ultimately failed because bottom line, we're much closer now to the bomb where Iran is soon to be a threshold state, as close it as it has ever been. So uh, at this point, I think, if the right pressures accumulate towards Iran, I think they will be forced to go back. The question is, how long will they drag it out and how many concessions will they be able to force out of the other side? I'm just not sure that these forces can converge because what happened in 2015 was pretty unique. It was a success from the American side to bring everyone together, to bring the Iranians to the table and to sign such a deal was a success. Remember that even back then, we among ourselves couldn't even agree what the deal says. In Israel, the narrative was this is a bad deal because when it ends, they can do whatever they want. Actually, this this paves the way for nuclear weapons somewhere uh, down the road. The deal itself, some of the wording there was that Iran signs that they will never ever have nuclear weapons. So isn't that interesting that we're talking about a deal that was signed and we're not even sure what it meant. And now we say, are we gonna, we're gonna all crawl back into that deal. What will the deal say? Remember also the timeline was pretty constrained. So as we speak, the timeline has progressed. Even if we go back to the deal as it was with that time frame, it's pretty close. So what's going to happen? We're going to be happy for signing the deal, and then in a couple of years, we'll already be dealing with all those sunset clauses? Very complicated. But my guess is that the Iranians are smart and calculated, and they know their overall goal. I think they believe us. They understand the threat. And I think they also understand that although the United States is perceived to be weak as far as withdrawing, 
their overall strategic calculation and being aligned with Israel. And here I may see this a bit differently than Mr. Oren, because in many issues we do converge, and that is that ultimately we will not allow them. We will not enable a nuclear weapon actually to be on the shelf in Iran. Indeed. Well, technically speaking, it was never signed, but it was uh, adopted under UN Security Council Resolution 2231. Mr. Owen, just recently, uh, the IDF Intelligence Director Chief uh, Tamir Hayman was substituted, of course, uh, a change of command. Uh, Khalifa took his place, uh, during which, however, prior to uh, his departure, uh, General Hayman did mention that there is an ongoing struggle in Iran and that inevitably the Ayatollah regime will fall. The question is, to what degree do we help it to fall? And this is a question, of course, in line also with a point made by Mr. Uh, uh, Javed Al-Fal. How do we see this regime actually collapse when all of the international community is now poised on trying to establish certain parameters that would strengthen the regime at the expense of it actually not acquiring weapons of mass destruction. So going back to what we heard uh, just a few moments ago, um, uh, at the beginning of uh, the last decade, around uh, uh, 2010, 2011, the question uh, posed in Israel was, what will come first, the explosion or the implosion? Will they be able to explode a nuclear device or will the regime implode because of uh, the uh, failures and because of uh, the resistance uh, built uh, from uh, down below? And by the way, perhaps one reason why we didn't see uh, demonstrations and riots, at least uh, on a Beirut uh, scale, is that the uh, crisis was not sudden. Uh, it was a gradual decline. People got used to their sorry state, and even a slight improvement seems like a big one. Now that apparently the uh, Iranian economy, while not on a bounce, is at least a bit better or a bit less uh, worse than it was, uh, if it was. Mayor Javad Alfar doesn't agree with it, but apparently... Uh, the State Department thinks that this is uh, the case. Perhaps this is uh, one of the reasons why their negotiators were given uh, certain uh, terms of uh, reference. But be it um, as it may, um, I used to, to have long conversations with Uri Lobrani, who was one of Israel's uh, Iran hands. And for many years, he died a few years ago, but for many years, he used to dream of some labor leader, an Iranian Lech Valenza, who will rise and uh, will uh, sway with him uh, the longshoremen in Iranian harbors, uh, plus the students, plus who knows, housewives, and uh, we will see a counter-revolution. So we are still waiting for this Iranian Valenza. Mr. Javed Anfal? A couple of points, uh, if I may. Um, number one, we can't overthrow the regime from abroad, Jonathan. This is not going to happen as much as uh, many of us, including myself, think this is a terrible regime. And I'm being, that's an understatement using terrible. We can't do it from abroad. Um, with or without a new deal, it's got to come from within. We can't do it from outside. 
Number two, if you want to reach a new deal with Iran, you can't get it. You can't, get, you know, if it's going to be a deal is involves give and take. This is one of the things that, you know, everybody went after the JCPOA. They were going crazy. Why did we give Iran these things? We should have given them nothing. Iran should have just shipped its entire new nuclear program out. That's not going to happen. That's not a deal. It's got to be give and take. So if we want to reach a new deal with Iran, we have to be ready to give them something again. Um, whatever it will be, we'll, we'll decide depending on how strong our hand is and where we are down the line. Number three, and if I can make this recommendation to Prime Minister Naftali Bennett um, uh, with much modesty, please stop these verbal threats that if Iran doesn't come back to the table, we're going to attack. We've said it before. We've, we, it's becoming tiring and it's using, it's losing its meaning. I think the Iranian regime would be far more concerned if everybody in Israel suddenly went quiet. And they just saw things such as what we're doing with the Germans, with the blue flag exercise. And, you know, if if all the time declaring that we're going to attack, number one, kind of lose, loses meaning. And number two, if at the end of the day, because of our own expedient decisions, we don't attack, then we're going to look like a toothless tiger. So I think, you know, instead of instead of these constant threats, I think it's much better if actually we worry the Iranians from with silence from Israel, something that's an anomaly in this country. God almighty, if it happens, it would be a miracle in itself. That's enough to scare the bejesus out of the Iranians. But also, you know, um, and, and wait to see what happens. And, and, and I think this is something which would really worry the, worry the Iranians. But Mayor Bennett's uh, threat uh, does not come from Khamenei. It comes from Netanyahu. Yeah, um, you know, we, 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 it's, it's, of course, it's not the same with the new government, but still we hear it, you know, all options are on the table. Oh, my God, how many more times are we going to say this? Because they don't want to be outflanked uh, by domestic uh, opposition. Well, time will tell about that, but time is running out on our watch. And Colonel Ben Shalom, I'd like to hear a closing statement from you about 35 seconds. I was going to be original and say what Mayo said, but I'm going to say it too. I think uh, we crossed a terrible threshold when previous uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu joined the Iranians with existential threats. Enough with that. We're going towards a miscalculation. This rhetoric is going to lead us to miscalculation and maybe even some kind of pointless confrontation, if by proxy or directly. It's not the right thing to do. It's not the right rhetoric. At least we should show an example, tone down our rhetoric, do what needs to be done with our partners, and even show the Iranian people who we really are. We're not their enemies. Ultimately, we should be friends and have peace. Indeed. Mr. Oren, last sentence. Previous governments knew how to conduct secret talks with Egyptians, with Palestinians. Hopefully, even though uh, perhaps the Iranians uh, wouldn't want to, hopefully there is or will be a secret channel between Jerusalem and Tehran. Well, hopefully uh, we'll have some peace in the near future. But this is all the time that we have for today. I'd like to thank Mr. Javed Anfal, Colonel Ben Shalom, and Mr. Owen for being part of today's panel. I'd like to thank our viewers as well, and we will see you next time. Thank you for joining us in another Jerusalem Studio podcast. For more content on Israel and its region, we invite you to visit our website at tv7israelnews.com and follow us on social media.